Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. My name is Nick. And in this episode, we are going to be gathering our thoughts and getting ready for the Aquaman film that will be opening here very soon. It's directed by James Wan. Uh, I'm going to run through some of the creative people here that we have to look forward to. They've been working on this for a long time, and it's coming to screens. It's actually opened in China already. Had a very big weekend in China. It's going to other parts of the world, finally coming to the United States. I'm not used to this, having to wait for a movie to kind of be the last one to get it. But <laughs> You think China's not going to get it because they didn't see Suicide Squad? <laughs> Is that going to ruin their experience? Uh, I, I think they'll <laughs> probably be okay. <laughs> But yeah, James Wan, uh, the Australian director, um, famous for Conjuring. He did one of the Fast and Furious. He did the seventh Fast and Furious movie. I think it's very fitting to have a, an Australian, you know, somebody who's from Oceania and from an island nation to be doing this Aquaman movie. Yeah. Similar to having like a star who's, you know, Pacific Islander kind of guy, uh, also surrounded by water. But uh, a few other credits real quickly here. Cinematography is by De uh, Don Burgess, who did Forrest Gump, Spider-Man, uh, the, the old uh, Raimi Spider-Man. And Conjuring 2 with James Wan. The screenplay was uh, co-written by also somebody from Conjuring 2. So James Wan has kind of a crew and creative people that he's kind of been working well with. But He also wrote uh, Wrath of the Titans, which I don't know if that was good. But I liked Flash of the Titans, so hey. Yeah, I, I think I watched both of those. I don't remember anything specifically, you know, whether Wrath of the Titans was a lot better or the same or whatever. But uh at least got him going into the field. And he did Conjuring 2 and Conjuring 3 for David Johnson McGoldrick. And uh, that, to me, is a good sign that he did Conjuring 3. Because after writing Conjuring 2, James Wan and others must have been happy enough with his writing skills that they wanted him to do Conjuring 3. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and Will Beal also worked on the screenplay. He's from Gangster Squad and did some writing on uh, the show Castle from television. But the story is by Jeff Johns oh, yeah. of DC fame. James Wan also contributed to the story itself, like the kind of conceptualization of the plot and the characters, and Will Beale. Um, music, we have Rupert Gregson Williams, uh, who is uh, DC fans might know from this little movie called Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. So he's now coming over here to Aquaman to, to do some music. You think he's got any good uh, like Wonder Woman level stings in this? Like That Wonder Woman theme is just, damn, dude. Yeah, you know, that he inherited from Hans Zimmer, but he used it really, really well in Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah, his take on it's great. Uh, you hear it in, the, in that movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, now he doesn't get something to inherit for Aquaman in the same way, because Aquaman was in Justice League, but I really couldn't tell you an Aquaman, like, musical cue from that movie. And so I think Gregson Williams here is going to kind of probably start from scratch, so that'll be kind of fun to see what he comes up with. And he can also kind of decide on what kind of musical language he wants for the you know atlantean stuff that's also possible that um junkie xl did something that he might inherit but yeah you know Ooh, that'd be cool <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if he just contacted him like hey what were you working on before you got fired from justice league you know you have any good ideas for aquaman yeah <laughs> anything's better than you know danny elfman whom i love but like just a bad fit for this yeah, he didn't have enough time. It was not a good fit. Yeah, it didn't work out. It was very kind of forgettable sort of score, which is very different than the other DC movies that had very memorable scores. But I, I'm looking forward to this one with Rupert Gregson Williams. Uh, I've got confidence in him. And we'll talk about the music some more a little bit later. Uh, and I want to also mention the executive producers because we have John Berg and Jeff Johns. So this is kind of probably their last hurrah. 
um, for the DC Films division because they were running it for a little while. But I think they made some key decisions on Justice League that did not turn out very well. And I think they're sort of off on other things now. Um, but Walter Hamada is an executive producer here. So he's more of the future of DC Films. He's now kind of steering the ship. And then uh, there's also a couple people called uh, Deborah Snyder and Zack Snyder who are still executive producers on this film. Hell yes, brother. <laughs> you know, they casted Jason Momoa. They uh, established the character in BVS and then definitely, you know, in Justice League uh, and cast Amber Heard. So their fingerprints are still on this movie quite a bit. If, um, Walter Hamada, can you tell me anything about him? So yeah, Hamada, uh, he was, I think, like leading New Line Cinema, which is a branch of Warner Brothers. Um, but he did like The Conjuring, or he produced, you know, Annabelle, The Conjuring, The Conjuring 2, which has been a very successful franchise, and also, you know, makes Hamada linked with James Wan. Um, Hamada also oversaw the movie It, you know, the the one that came out last year, which was a huge hit, like a big money maker for Warner Brothers. They did a good job on that. Yeah, and I think he also is kind of known for um, taking something that could have a budget of like 50 to a hundred million, but actually spin out like big blockbuster success from it, like widespread success. Nice. Um, so he's kind of bringing that mentality in, or that's the perception rather than like 200, $250 million budgets. He's sort of like, Hey, what can we do? You know, 150 or towards 100 million. Cause if you get in that ballpark of around a hundred million, uh, you've got a lot more profit margin you can look at. Yeah. And Aquaman looks so good. Like, I mean, in terms of just what the those undersea battles look incredible. Oh man! Yeah, and that actually goes right into what we want to talk about. So we're going to talk about here in our preparation episode what we're looking forward to in the movie. We're going to kind of quickly go through the characters um, and then some of the themes that we think might be involved in the movie. Uh, we'll have more to say about that after we see the movie. Um, but then we also are going to have some questions that are on our mind as we head to the theater. So, uh, Nick, you're talking here um, about one of our first things that we're looking forward to, which is the Atlantean society going underwater and also seeing what sort of battles, what sort of scale are we going to be dealing with when we get into this movie? How, people, how do people live underwater? <laughs> we will find out, I guess, yeah. And especially if you know they used to live above land and then Atlantis sunk down under the water. How did that happen? Is magic involved? What's going on? Oh, yeah, maybe we'll get a history lesson. Yeah, that's kind of a DC calling card, you know, to have the sort of, you know, Wonder Woman had it with the Greek history lesson, the old gods, uh, Man of Steel had the famous one, of course. Even Justice League had the history lesson about Steppenwolf's invasion. So uh, I, I definitely would not put it past them to have just a straight up sort of like, here's a telling of this interesting history of this society. I'm going to go with, it's the scene where they put that little cylinder on the pedestal and she puts water on it. Oh, yeah, that definitely gives a little bit of history of the Trident. Uh, I'll be curious how broad that history lesson is. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just really looking forward to, you know, how they develop that society. Um, you have a big sandbox to play in here. There's the Seven Kingdoms. You can have creatures, you know, monsters. You have the Atlantean characters. There's a lot to develop. Uh, so I'm just looking forward to what they do with that. And I'm really hoping that it's not just a cool visual setting I hope that they give it some really intriguing societal elements. Yeah. Like put something interesting about how their society is organized or how the kingdoms interact with each other or something like that. They did that really well with Krypton and Man of Steel. That's yeah, you're yeah. right. That is absolutely something I'll be looking forward to in this. Yeah, good point about yeah, Man of Steel, right. Like it's it's not just a landscape, but it was interesting how they organized their society and how they controlled the births and that sort of thing. And it made it into like I always say this, it's very much like 
something you might have read in heavy metal magazine. Like, it's not like, this is an alien race from far away. No, no it's like a whole thing. There's eugenics and fascism, and <laughs> it's really cool. So hopefully, yeah, yeah I want to see a lot of that, like a, like weird societal, just foreign society stuff in, uh, in Atlantis. I'd love that. Yeah, and I think they have a really good opportunity to develop that because if Orm, uh, Ocean Master, is trying to like pull together the different kingdoms to unify them to maybe take on the surface world, maybe, that gives you a chance to sort of look at how do these kingdoms interact with each other? What kind of relationship do they have? Yes, um, yeah. Yeah, so I think they really could develop it, and I, I hope that they do. Um, and Alessandro says you know, that he hopes that the story is very compelling and it weaves together the Atlantean society and that the society is integral to the story that they tell, which I think they have the potential to do. Yeah, exactly. Right. That it was so important. Kryptonian society is so important to the plot of man of steel. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I really, uh, yeah, I'm with him. I hope this, uh, it's like the same thing here where, where it's a big factor in what's happening and why things are the way they are, why people behave the way they do. I love that about man of steel. Yeah. I hope I see that again here, you know? Yeah. And I like it too for an origin film when the main character's background history society that he came from or is connected to, I like it when that society or uh, background is made central to the plot. Wonder Woman did that well, Man of Steel did that well, so I'm hoping that it's three for three here with the uh, three DCEU origin stories. The example I always think of from Wonder Woman is how like all the buildings are designed, there's not really any like phallic symbols, there's a lot of circles and stuff like that. The throne room is those big uh, spirals. Yeah. Yeah, so it looks like, you know, it's a society that might have been designed by women. You can see it down in the buildings and stuff. Yeah, and then that it's and it's not just something to look at. It's also something that plays into the story arc of Diana and where the plot is going, yeah. Um another thing that we are looking forward to is just to see um, you know, how Justice League parlays into the next movie you know we had justice league we have some mixed feelings about it but we've got this aquaman character we met mira how is that going to play forward into this movie i'm looking forward to seeing what sort of connections are there um there might be some disappointment like like justice league we were kind of disappointed that it didn't follow up on certain things from bvs yeah but now going into aquaman we still can look forward to okay does mira and arthur they had this meaningful conversation in justice league does that still make sense, and does it connect forward into Aquaman? Oh, hey, you know it'd be cool uh, is if uh, you know uh, Black Manta somehow ties into the uh, Legion of Doom. Yeah, I mean, so the Legion of Doom scene in Justice League would have been very, very easy for WB to just take that out, right? Like, ah, just delete that. We're not going to show that. The fact that they left it in there with Deathstroke and Lex Luthor to me means they're like keeping the door open to an actual Legion of Doom thing in the future. And yeah, Black Mana should be right up at the front of the list for that if that comes out. Or just a scene in this movie where he meets up with Deathstroke or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also looking forward to, you know, so Mira and Arthur, um, we'll talk more about their characters in just a moment. But I did like meeting them in Justice League, and I want to see that develop in Aquaman. There was also the part where Arthur in Justice League was sitting on the Lasso of Truth and he kind of shares that he's never really been accepted. He's never felt at home anywhere. He's kind of, you know, been, um, you know, shiftless and roaming kind of person. So I'm hoping that that also plays into his character at the start of the movie and then he can have some character growth through by the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, but we'll talk more about those characters um, in a second. Alessandro has a particular, you know, wondering about 
whether this Aquaman film will connect to the theatrical Justice League or whether it would connect to the Snyder Cut Justice League that we haven't seen. There's a scene at the end of the Snyder Cut where, like, he gets in a truck and drives away or whatever. Right. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, maybe they could have transplanted that into this movie, which would be actually pretty cool. It just sounds like, you know, it was just he's going off to do his thing, which would have been everybody's ending in that movie. I'm sure I'm sure there was like a closing musical montage and that was part of it. Yeah, Um, there was. Right. But, but, um, you know, they anyways. Yeah. I mean, Clark goes back to, you know, to get his mom's house back. Right. Um, Bruce Bruce goes to a new Wayne Manor that he's rebuilding. And then Aquaman, you know, is leaving in a truck and saying, I, I got to go see my dad. I mean, it's not crucial to Justice League to just see where he went, but there might have been some other Aquaman stuff in Justice League uh, that Alessandro is kind of wondering about. And we do know that this Aquaman film takes place right after Justice League. So he did have these experiences stopping Steppenwolf and joining the League. So I'll wonder if they like refer to that, if they refer to these other heroes that he has a you know friendship with now. Or is it just all focused in on just Atlantis, just the new stuff? Yeah. We talked about the music earlier with Rupert Gregson Williams, but I, I just wanted to say that this is one thing I'm looking forward to is the music. Um, I enjoy film scores quite a bit. And the last trailer that came out, the final trailer, um, had a new musical kind of arrangement to it from the prior trailers. And I am hoping that that final trailer with the da-da-da-da kind of uh, motif yeah. I'm really hoping that that's actually, you know, something that's drawing from the film score um, because it's very memorable. It's very powerful. It has this energy behind it, um, but it's also unique. It doesn't sound to me like something that I've heard before. It sounds like, oh, there's an actual creative spark here of something new that we can tie to Aquaman. I like the music and the trailer, too. I, I just thought those uh, Gregson Williams boys, dude, they know what's up. <laughs> Is, are, they, are they brothers? I assumed so. I haven't ever actually confirmed that, but yeah, figures. Like so. Metal Gear Solid soundtrack. That's just an all-time classic. Yeah, um, but I'm really hoping to uh, to get back to like DCEU level of music, like Man of Steel, BVS, Wonder Woman had. Right. Yeah, get away from um, <clears throat> yeah, The Simpsons. <laughs> All right, another thing that we are looking forward to, and I have high hopes for are the two-level villains. Um, and shout-out to Mark from uh, DCEU Minute, uh, who talked, you know, we had a conversation before about how a lot of movies can effectively have two levels of villains, like the Emperor and Darth Vader, or Lex Luthor and Doomsday. The dragon and the big bad, according to TV tropes. Aha, nice. Here we've got Orm, who's obviously the, the main villain, um, but there's also Black Mana that's going to fit in here. And so I'm really looking forward to see how they fit together and I'm hoping that they complement each other really well. Um, so, yeah, something I'm looking forward to. I don't actually know that much about either of them. I read um, I read the New 52 Justice League where Orm tries to take over the surface world, which it sounds like is the plot of this movie. Mm-hmm. I thought he was pretty cool in that. I like that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to Orm. I don't know anything about Black Mana. That's actually, I don't know that much about Aquaman to begin with. So this is, for me, this is... A lot of the times I'll go see a movie and it's like, yes, 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 they did that right. Okay, good. This passes the test. But then sometimes you see a movie, you don't know anything, like Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, for me, it can lead to uh, a new appreciation of characters you weren't familiar with before. So I'm really looking forward to getting a real proper introduction to Black Manta in this. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're speaking for millions and millions of people who are hopefully going to see this movie where 
they maybe have heard of Black Manta, but probably not. You know, it's most people, this will be immediately the definitive version of Aquaman. Right. Yeah, it'll be the first introduction of Orm and Black Manta to the general audience. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and for me, I've read uh, the New 52 Aquaman. I've read most of that run, uh, and Jeff Johns was heavily involved in that one. So, and, you know, being a story writer on this, um, definitely connections there. I've read also a lot of the Rebirth Aquaman, so I, I know some of that Orm stuff, but I, I really have not read at all the classic Aquaman or Aquaman from the Silver Age or anything like that. From before New 52, I only know Aquaman from just pop culture and then from like Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, like the TV animated series. Actually, my biggest uh, my biggest interaction with Aquaman uh, comes from Batman Brave and the Bold, hmm. where he's it's by John DiMaggio and he's always uh, he's always saying outrageous and he, uh, telling <laughs> his adventures. I love that version of Aquaman. <laughs> oh, That's cool. God. That sounds kind of like a fun one. I haven't seen that one. Oh yeah, that's a that's, watch that with your kids. Yeah, you'll you'll love it. Like as an adult, like you can really appreciate. But yeah, um, so uh, Aquaman's fun side, which uh, Jason Momoa really embodies very well. So more of that. I like him. I like him in Justice League. You know, so more of that guy. Yeah, Alessandro is somebody who maybe is a little more familiar with Black Mana than us. Um, but he says he's really looking forward to seeing Black Mana in the movie especially with the design that they have for his costume, which is like very much like pulled out of the comic books. It really does. Look, yeah, it looks so accurate. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Bringing Batman's costume to life. They did such a good job with that. It's kind of the they, – they're able to go the more direct route than they are with like, you know, like Superman's costume, which really had to be tweaked for it to make sense in this world. But Black Manta, I mean, yeah, that's basically how he looks. That, that all checks out. What I'm, I'll tell you what I'm interested in. I want to know if they did that thing that they did in Batman versus Superman, which is where everything in Batman's suit is kind of a real thing. Like you could make a helmet out of like titanium and you could have that like tri-weave Kevlar titanium armor. All that stuff is, you know, those voice things, that's real. You can you can have a throat microphone and project your voice with like a bass resonance. So what about, you know, Black Manta's costume is practical and, and a thing you could actually put in a costume. Those guns on Deadshot's costume, real guns. Yeah, I mean, the, the helmet and stuff and the, the suit seem like those could be very realistic, especially if somebody who is water-based or submarine-based and stuff. The one thing that I'll have to watch the movie to find out is literally laser beams coming out of your eye holes. Like, that's something where I'm like, all right, I'm not sure if that's realistic, but um, we'll give it a shot. I don't think, yeah, I'm sure there. <laughs> but again, like, as long as there's an explanation for that, mm-hmm. whatever. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I harnessed uh, ancient Atlantean technology that I stole. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Love it. I'm I'm definitely open to it. it. That's just the one thing that if we're looking for the realism, they'll have to give some sort of explanation, you know. Um, but I'm looking forward to it for sure. But um, speaking of, so we've mentioned Arthur and Mira and Orm and and uh, Black Mana. Let's go just through the characters a little bit here quickly. Um, so first of all, with Arthur Curry Aquaman, so obviously played by Jason Momoa here. Um, I am looking forward to following his sort of. Uh, character story that has been started in justice league we know from justice league that he's the firstborn of beloved queen atlanta which is uh good to say like oh firstborn so that means there is a later born so that's gonna be orm but 
Arthur, you know, has some sort of uh, negative feelings about his mother. We can tell that from the scene in Justice League um, where he's, you know, like, well, Mira knows Atlanta and, and Arthur's like, well, that makes one of us, you know, and he's like, she left me. Uh, so he still has this kind of feeling of abandonment from his mother, left me on my father's doorstep, never gave me another thought which is kind of a negative way to view it, right? Like, why would you assume that she never thought of you just because she left you there, you know, to never think of you? That's a pretty kind of harsh assumption to make about your mother. And then Mira does tell him, you know, like, no, like, it wasn't like that. She wasn't abandoning you because she didn't want to think of you or didn't want anything to do with you. She said it was painful to leave you there and it was saving your life to leave you there. So to me, oh, that's kind of intriguing. Like, I want to follow up on that and say, like, how was it saving Arthur's life to leave him, you know, up with his dad. Um, so there must have been some sort of threat to him from Atlantis. Yeah, um, and it seems like the classic kind of King Arthur story, literally, King Arthur story, where you, you leave him and he's raised as like a common person so that he knows the trials and tribulations of the average man. Yeah, yeah. Part of it, I don't know. Yeah, and the, so she's the queen. So yeah, he does have this royal birth, uh, half royal birth or whatever you want to call it. But that mm -hmm. means she might have been involved in some sort of... Uh, throne intrigue you know that man his father that man is Django fett you will put some spec on that name <laughs> yeah we're gonna get to him we're gonna get to him I, i'm not sure how major of a character he's gonna be it, he could be a pretty substantial character or he could be somebody who's sort of like a, an act one character who's kind of left behind or you know later um uh, it's gonna be one of those key role one or two scenes kind of characters but he's probably gonna get some really good lines and and good uh you know get a chance to flex his acting muscles because uh, Tamara Morrison dude can act. Love that guy. Love him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think he's a, and he's a great fit, I think for this character too. But uh, what are your, what are your feelings about Jason Momoa as the uh, star kind of carrying the movie forward? Oh yeah. He could. Yeah. That guy's a, uh, that guy's got star power and charisma. He can carry a movie for sure. Yeah. I think so too. I think he's, he's definitely enjoyable to watch. I think it's good that he is able to bring some of his own personality to the character yeah. So I think that that works for Momoa at this point. No, it just it fits perfectly to have him uh, just be a Hawaiian surfer guy. Like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, that's him, yeah. So I guess that's Jason Momoa, and it makes perfect sense for Aquaman. I love that idea. The ocean's so big. You can put him anywhere and have him be part of any culture. So he picks something like, oh, let's uh, hire a Hawaiian guy. Okay, well, now he's Hawaiian. I mean, it looks in the movie like he's still from Maine or whatever, but, you know, that's a uh, – his attitude so mm -hmm. i do hope I, I think that he'll have a good personality i do think he'll be able to carry the movie as the lead uh and i i hope that they give him good character growth uh that's the thing that remains to be seen i know they're you know probably going to have something about finding his place or finding his home or finding a balance between the two worlds or whatever but i hope that they really do draw a good arc like a lesson for him to learn or a new realization or something because for me i movies that have a charismatic interesting personality as the lead can be kind of fun to watch but i don't get as much depth out of them as a movie where the lead character really goes through something or ends up in a new place yeah i um something about justice league you have half the characters in those movie in that movie they know who they are and what their place in the world is superman knows what he wants to do batman wonder woman obviously they've figured their lives out and then the other half, you have all these new guys, Aquaman, Flash, Cyborg, and they don't know. And that's what the Justice League gives them is that sense of purpose and all of that, which is one of the big themes of that movie. So, you know, he, he's, he's gotten a, a good jumping off point 
to really develop his character. And that's probably what we're going to see in this movie is him really become the Aquaman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now there's an Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> the other lead in the movie I'm also excited about uh, quite a bit is Mira, um, played by Amber Heard. And Amber Heard talked about in the behind the scenes video um, that that Mira is no damsel in distress. She's a strong, badass, empowered superhero. And I uh, am really looking forward to this uh, relationship between the two where there can hopefully be some good, um, you know, relationship building and good romance uh, between them where it's a meaningful sort of them coming to understand, appreciate each other in, you know, deep ways. But I like it that there's this movie where it's actually Mira with her, you know, hydrokinetic superpowers and right next to Aquaman and they are heroes together because in superhero movies, a lot of them, there's a hero and then their love interest is a human usually, like somebody that's not on the same level as them. Um, And this will be people on equal levels going through something together and also can have uh, that love relationship like that. Yeah, that's. A good observation, yeah. I'd love to see that. On a much more surface level kind of thing, uh, just Mira's powers, I think, are going to be kind of unique um, to have her manipulation of water and then when they're having battles, how she can use that in different ways. Um, I think it's going to be a new sort of power set that we haven't seen in, in superhero movies so far. She also seems to have a lot of Arthur's durability as well. I was, uh, We were talking about that scene where He's in the in Batman versus Superman. We see him in the Tonga Trench, and so we know that he can survive at, at this extreme pressure. But you have to wonder how much of that. Obviously, a lot of that's his physicality because he can get smacked in the face by Superman and just be fine. Mm-hmm. But also, a lot of that is the ability to control water and water pressure. So you know, I wonder how that extends to Mara. Well, we see in Justice League she does get smacked around pretty hard by Steppenwolf, and yeah, she know, has like a laceration, but. She still is walking around and talking and just fine, yeah. You'd have to, to have some kind of fundamental structural difference in your body if you're living underwater, pretty much no matter how far under, as long, you know, past a certain point. And yeah. They're clearly pretty deep down there. So, yeah. Again, there's weird, nerdy math questions that come into the DC movies. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also just like the visual kind of thing where, uh, like in Justice League, when she pulled the water away, which caused Steppenwolf to like fall down, and, and she used that as a fighting tactic. Uh, I just like the potential that she can do with this water manipulation. Was that in that um, deleted scene, the previous thing, or is that in the movie? I forget. That, oh, that one is in the movie when Steppenwolf is coming to take the mother box um, from oh, okay. Atlantis. Yeah, and, and Steppenwolf is kind of trying to move through, and then all of a sudden the water disappears around him, and then he starts falling down, and then she like smashes the water back on him. So, you know, there's a lot of just different tactics that she can use with this water. In terms of uh, Mira's kind of history, we get a little allusion to it in Justice League. She mentions that her parents fought in the wars, and and when her parents were doing that, Atlanta, Queen Atlanta, took in Mira, like, under her wing. So she's kind of like a, you know, foster child or stepchild um, sort of thing, or sort of mother-daughter relationship, but not officially. But it's interesting to hear about, like, okay, Mira has these parents who were in the wars. Were they, like, generals and leaders in the wars, or what was their relationship? What were those wars? Was it between the kingdoms of, you know, different kingdoms underwater? Um, So it'll be interesting to kind of hear where she came from, what her relationship is with Atlanta. That can be an interesting backstory um, as she goes forward. And then also one other thing is uh, Mira... Mira's hair is a different color now. <laughs> I don't know how you feel. Like in Justice League, it was a little bit, you know, more toned down. And now James Wan decided to really bring out her hair. I mean, it is kind of like the comics. She does have pretty 
bright, you know, pronounced hair in the comic books. Um, but that is a difference from Justice League. That kind of annoyed me at first. Not the, really the change, just how just the scale, the hue that the, the hair is at to begin with and now. But watching these trailers, you see also that like Orm, people of Atlantis, Atlanta, they all have these unnaturally bright hair colors. And they, that probably has to do like they're underwater. They don't get a lot of light. Right. So, mm-hmm. again, that's another indicator that they, they might, you know, there might be this uh, not a focus, but the uh, but how the reality of like living underwater or being a superman or being wonder woman or whatever affects your life and how you look and the actions that you take i'm glad to see that that seems like a real clue like if you had a civilization that lived underwater in darkness well at least not you know not pretty yeah yeah without the sun yeah their hair would be a lot a lot brighter so yeah that checks out so I'm glad to see that, and uh, that's that's what I'm looking. You know me. That's, that's my absolute favorite thing about these movies, is this weird little like, yeah, so that is what it would be like. You yeah, know, Superman couldn't just pick up a building; it would crumble around him. <laughs> but you know, that's why I like that stuff. Yeah, it, I kind of had a similar thing where when I first saw Mira's new hair, I wasn't quite sure. I could wasn't quite buying into it right away. But as I've seen multiple trailers. I've totally gotten used to it where I'm like, oh yeah, that's just her hair. Like, uh, and then I agree with you. I also thought about it when we started to see more of Atlantis. I'm like, oh yeah, like she's from a completely different society. They might have completely different, either natural hairs or they might just have different ways that they color their hair because it's part of, you know, societies can do lots of different things to their appearance. And it might seem weird to you if you're from a different culture, but in that culture, it might be completely normal. So I both got used to it and also kind of came to understand it in some of the ways that you're talking about this is going to sound like a joke but i'm serious i hope orm is like racist about how brown aquaman is probably not going to be a factor in the movie Mm. wouldn't that make sense you're not genetically pure i mean honestly Mm -hmm. the times it's relevant but you know like that would be it'd be kind of a cool little detail but yeah like you you know i i for me i think it's just like a natural it's probably like a nature thing um and and yeah this, this is a difference between the two movies it doesn't really bother me uh justice league if nothing else is a movie of idiosyncrasies so that's <laughs> maybe the the least of our kind of continuity problems is just her hair color slightly right. especially because anybody can color their hair at any time so there's not even any actual discontinuity but Right. But you mentioned Orm, uh, the possible racist, uh, also known as Ocean Master. Oh, yeah. He's being played by Patrick Wilson. Hell, yeah. Uh, Patrick Wilson uh, has a you know relationship with James Wan from the Conjuring movies, and also Patrick Wilson having worked with uh, the Snyders before. So he's you know definitely a, a known commodity, a strong actor. What's your feeling so far from having seen him in the trailers and just what you're you know hoping for from him? We don't get much of him, but I know that Patrick Wilson's a really good actor, so I'm not even worried. Like, I'm just yeah. excited to see what he does with King Norm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm, I have confidence in him. I do like the look of the character with the hair pulled back and, like you said, kind of the pale thing. Um, I like that it's even though it's Patrick Wilson, it's he clearly has a character design that's unique and memorable. Yeah, yeah, very Draco Malfoy, very creepy, <laughs> handsome. And the Malfoy angle could work on if they do go racist, uh, you know, like you're not a pureblood kind of thing could work out. Exactly. <laughs> Quick little history rundown. Like you said, I'm, you know, I'm not a super expert on Orm or Ocean Master, but I do know he was created in the Silver Age, like in the 60s. And he was, at the beginning, Arthur's half-brother. But originally, he was the half-brother on the human side, oh, yeah. uh, which is to me kind of weird, weird to think about. 
rather than like having this Atlantis connection from birth. Um, he's a half brother on the human side, but then uh, post crisis, uh, so in the eighties, they reworked his backstory where he now was like from Atlantis, but he was like a wizard offspring, um, something like that. Like I said, I haven't actually read that Aquaman stuff at all, um, but he had this kind of magical backstory uh, and came from Atlantis. But what they're drawing on here, and the one that I know the best, is the New 52 from 2011 onward uh, reboot in the comic books. Jeff Johns gave Ocean Master a new origin story. He made him Arthur's half-brother, but he's the half-brother on the Atlantean side. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, of course. like That's what he should have yeah. been from the beginning. To me, it just makes so much more sense if you're having conflict with your half-brother that he should be the Atlantis half-brother. Yeah, that's classic uh, you know, like royalty uh, Game of Thrones the actual real world history stuff perfect yeah so i think that's really good um you mentioned already the throne of atlantis story which i think is volume three probably of uh aquaman it also crossed over with justice league a little bit in uh the new 52 written by jeff johns um but throne of atlantis that's definitely a graphic novel that they're drawing on quite a bit here i'm sure there'll be a lot of differences but there's going to be a you know definitely a connection there so a little bit of spoiler here if you don't want to know anything about it going in, but uh, skip ahead, you know, 30 seconds or so. In Throne of Atlantis, Orm riles up the Sea Kingdoms and he kind of gets them together. And there's some events that happen that get them fired up to actually wage war on the surface dwellers. Like we are going to kind of wipe them out and the Earth will be better for it. So and there's kind of this, you know, echo angle to it of uh, the surface dwellers hurting the Earth. So then you end up with this big battle between like the Atlanteans and everybody coming out of the sea and the water hitting the cities and the coasts and that sort of thing. So it's a good premise for having a pretty big sort of threat to the world. That's that right there. I think is going to be one of the the themes of this movie. This is going to be one of those, obviously we need to change the world, but how do we do it the right way? And Orm's answer is violence and Aquaman's answer is probably, well, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And James Wan on Twitter recently did say that Orm is kind of an eco-warrior at heart. Right. So he is basically like his heart is broken if he sees pollution in the ocean or the oceans and the ecosystem not being taken care of. So uh, that is part of what James Wan is kind of is feeding into this character. And that's exciting to me because that seems like it has the makings for possibly a very compelling villain. Somebody who is sticking up for the earth, for the oceans and for his people against what he sees as like a threat to them. Um, so that could be a really interesting villain. Yeah. Um, and actually it's got me wondering about black Manta cause I can't, can't remember. Like he's a, uh, I see, I can't remember if he's like black Manta is like pro pollution or like an eco terrorist. I can't, I don't remember. So I'm trying to figure out how, the, what their relationship would be. Uh, because if, if black Manta is a guy who, doesn't care about polluting the ocean maybe then you have like a three-way hate triangle that'd be fun too hmm yeah that could be interesting um yeah the only like i said i've only really read him a little bit in uh rebirth when he had kind of a personal vendetta with aquaman because of i think black manta's father like arthur might have been somehow involved in black manta's father dying and so he like has this revenge that he wants against him that's in rebirth it might not at all play into the movie here uh it'd probably be better if they tied black manta into the he's taking sides in this war or maybe he's like a human that the atlanteans have sort of like hired to stir some things up for them 
so he's maybe sort of being like a double crosser on his species to like work for the Atlanteans or I really don't know. We haven't no, seen that, enough. That is exactly what it's going to be. He's going to be like a paid, like an agent provocateur. That's exactly what it is. You nailed it. Yeah, because that and would stir, actually, it would kind of stir up, a, make the you know conditions for waging war. You know. Exactly. Yeah. No, you're right. Damn, this movie is going to be good. Damn. <laughs> um, the other thing I was going to say about Orm is uh, one thing that's kind of interesting is there's sometimes a rivalry between Orm and Mira. So, like, in the comic books, Orm obviously wants the throne. He's, you know, the half-brother on the Atlantean side, so he has a claim to the throne. But Arthur is the older brother, so Arthur has, like, a claim. So, a lot of times it's just this, like like you said, the kind of classic brothers dueling for the crown sort of thing. But also, Orm can have a rivalry with Mira, and that's actually happening right now in the comic books. Mira is the queen of Atlantis currently in the comics, but Orm has kind of, like, found out wait a minute mira's queen like that's my that's my crown that i'm supposed to have so they can kind of have a rivalry and i think that could play into this movie because mira is the one who knew queen atlanta she's the atlantean connection and so she would be the one down there that knows orm and they've probably had drama and tensions in the past and that could boil up now into the sort of fever pitch of invading the surface world yeah so i like it where you can have the brotherly dynamics of orm and arthur but you can also have the dynamics of Mira and Orm, who have probably had a history of tension and, and drama, you know, playing off each other, too. Um, we talked about Black Mana a little bit. Um, he's played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen. Like I said, we haven't seen a lot from him in the trailers, or not at least from a story perspective, but he looks good in the trailers, I can say that. He looks so cool. <laughs> Gonna sell a lot of toys, I think, for that one. Yeah, it's gotta be some, like... I don't know, it's going to end up being like space age armor because that armor that's so that he can go to depth that's so that he can get down really uh deep in the water i think that's why it's like that it's kind of like that clunky old uh it's obviously where his design comes from is this with the big globe helmet those deals so obviously it's like a modernized version of that so something going on with that sorry i'm still thinking about the technology mm-hmm. but yeah i'm uh yeah i'm really looking forward to black man in this movie and again i'm, I'm i just like that we don't know much about him based on the trailers. Love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We know he's got a he's got a few other people with him on his uh, crew, you know. But uh, it'll be cool to see how they fit into all of it. We also just a few other characters that we'll mention here. Um, Atlanta, Queen Atlanta is played by Nicole Kidman. Um, so we're obviously going to see in a flashback form. We're going to see her as the mother of young Arthur. Um, she's going to have some sort of relationship with the father. So that'll be interesting to learn about. But then for some reason she leaves them uh, and goes back. So she's going to be involved in Arthur's you know, beginnings, but also with the early drama with Atlantis. So I think she'll be kind of a, a linchpin character for the overall plot and the history. Yeah, obviously she's going to – yeah, pretty much. I, I don't know. I don't have anything to add here. I'm just looking forward to those fight scenes. <laughs> yeah, that, I was pretty surprised on that last trailer to, uh, or cut the last couple trailers to see Nicole Kidman getting into some action. Oh, yeah, and there's that, that one shot that people like on Twitter where she kind of sword thrusts that guy into the ceiling and then you cut to Arthur doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's another little clue that, that this this really, I think there is going to be like a, man, the more I think about it, it just seems like they are going to carry on maybe not the tone, but the sort of style. Uh, because there's this thing in Man of Steel, you see uh, Jor-El, doing things on Krypton and then later Superman does them. And it's mostly like stuff like his mannerisms. Well, I'm trying to think if you see any uh, fight stuff 
you know what I mean? You're, you they, they want to show you they're not just, you know, ideologically or whatever, personality-wise similar to their parents. There's a physicality to it. Yeah. Yeah, I like exploring that stuff as well. Yeah, and it looks like they're going to do that with young Arthur's training and then older Arthur too. Like there's some, some physical movements that he's going to learn earlier and then they're going to come back later in the movie that he's able to use those. So I do like those visual, physical kind of connections. Um, and that actually brings us to Volko, uh, who looks like he's going to train Arthur when when young younger Arthur finds out about his Atlantean heritage and then gets trained and you know does that. Um, that's Willem Dafoe is going to be the lead character for that. It might be a kind of like Antiope character from Wonder Woman, where it's you know it's not the parents, but it's a sort of you know surrogate uncle sort of thing, and does go through this training. So that will be fun to see. And I do like the echoes of the DCEU. In Man of Steel, we saw a very young Clark uh, being born. We saw a young Clark kind of learning the ropes, learning um, some lessons from his father, and then you know going into his first adventure. Wonder Woman, same thing. We saw her young. We saw her getting trained. Then we saw her going into her own adventure, and I'm looking forward to that here with Aquaman. And Volko is going to be central to that. And he's a character from the comic books. We'll see how he plays into the plot. Like We see that he's going to be a mentor and kind of train Arthur, but how does Volko feel about Orm, or how does Volko feel about Mira, and what's his relationship there? I'll, I'll be interested to see how he fits into the whole dynamics. You know, I'm something of a magician myself. No, nothing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have anything to add about Volko. I just like Willem Dafoe. And, and you know, the DC uh, like mentor characters are all pretty cool. And it's nice to see Willem Dafoe and Nicole Kidman coming back around into the new generation of comic book movies. Oh, yeah. So they, they've both given it a, a run in the past. And so now they're kind of coming in into the, you know, golden age of comic book movies as well. It's a real it's a real hero's journey thing. They come back as the mentor. <laughs> King Nereus is going to be played by Dolph Lundgren. So that'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, he'll be part of the history. Who's King Nereus? Is that Arthur's father or? Well, it would be Queen Atlanta's husband, I'm assuming. But that would not be oh, Arthur's okay. father. Uh, yeah, It would be like obviously. his stepfather, I guess. Or, <laughs> yeah. I wonder how that works in their society. See, that's I hope that's something that gets explained in the movie. There's like a cool like, yes, it's a monarchy, but like if the girl is the oldest, then she's the queen. Mm-hmm. So she was the queen from the last generation of whatever her family name is, and then um, Nereus is her consort or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or and Nereus, cool. so I I don't know this for sure, but I am assuming Nereus could be Orm's father. Right. That's yeah. That's what I think. I, I mean, I don't know, but that's what I would assume. Yeah. yeah. And then Thomas Curry, that's the human father for Arthur, and that's, like you said, uh, Tamira Morrison. So I am looking forward to him. I think he's going to do a really good job with the emotional core, and I think that relationship between Arthur and his human father is going to be a really important one. Um, So looking forward to see that. And the reason I think it'll be important, because let's get into a few of the themes. We're not going to analyze these themes, because we don't have anything anything to analyze yet, but we just want to highlight themes really quickly here. One of them is just this theme of Arthur grappling with two worlds and what does it mean to be a person of two worlds you have kind of two cultures that you could be drawn to and it's something that a lot of people go through in their lives they're thinking about how do i balance you know the connections that i have to two different societies two different cultures Uh, and i think the you know relationship of arthur to his father that's going to be the emotional core of arthur and the surface dwellers of humanity yeah and the we were talking before about uh, Venn diagrams in Justice League and what different characters have in common. And this is, there's a lot of commonality here between Arthur and Clark and then Arthur and Diana. 
you know, in the one sense dealing with uh, being different from other people and in the other sense being royalty mm-hmm. and having to how to deal with that. So I like that, you know, these movies have been really good at exploring these themes and concepts. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing another take on it. And all, the core of all of it comes down to like duty and responsibility. Yeah. Very interested to see, very interested to see this movie is sort of uh surfer punk take on it. <laughs> I think the, I, I'm glad you brought up the royalty because I think that is the one thing that will be a little bit different than Clark or Diana. Like Diana is royalty but they didn't really play up the royalty angle. Like her, her arc was not really grappling with being a princess or like having to take the throne from her mother or anything because she's not going to take the throne from her mother. Yeah, you know, she's really the opposite. Yeah. yeah. So and and Clark, there's no kind of you know royalty angle to it. But Arthur has two worlds, just like Clark does and Diana does. But Arthur also has you're expected to be the king in this other world, or you could be the king in this other world. So that's going to be a different dynamic. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, you know, he's got to go from being a normal person. He's got to step up. Yeah. Yeah, like with Clark, it was kind of like, uh, what is he going to choose to save? You know, um, and that's where he his crucial decision came down, and he had the freedom of choice to do that. But in Arthur's, it's really more like, you know, you're going to be a very important, prominent person, where are you going to take that throne? Are you going to take the throne in Atlantis or are you going to go to humanity and be like their hero? We're not talking about like some remote, you know, island or whatever. Like there's already an undersea kingdom. We know that like there's literally several kingdoms underwater. Mm-hmm. So once, you know, and Atlanta controls all of those, uh, or like Atlantis controls all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's stepping up to be the leader of this underwater nation. But then also that puts him, if he, okay, if you're the king of the ocean, you control most of the planet. Mm -hmm. So suddenly he's a world leader, Mm -hmm. probably has as much power as like the United States president. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, so when you think of it in those terms, when you abstract it and you think of it like, you know, watching Excalibur or whatever, it's like, oh yeah, dude, who wouldn't want to be the king? But when you put it like, modern terms and you think of what it's not just him being responsible for what's going on in the water once you become the king of atlantis if you want to have a relationship with the rest of the world which is probably what the events of this movie are gonna force to happen mm-hmm. damn man that is a wow imagine having to go deal with the president of china or whatever mm-hmm. and you're just like yeah you should be on it <laughs> Yeah, and actually, um, the Rebirth comic books from that started a couple years ago by Dan Abnett, uh, they have some story arcs at the beginning that are basically world politics that Arthur is in the middle of. Like, he has to go to the yeah. United Nations, and he has to negotiate some treaties and stuff like that. And so it's very political, but to me, it was also very dramatic. I actually really liked those stories. He didn't really like being king. He didn't necessarily like doing all that stuff, but it's still some good stories that can come out of it. Um, but yeah, the two worlds will be interesting to see, see if we can connect it back to other DC films. Um, James Wan has kind of confirmed this where he said Arthur has powers of Atlanteans, but that his motivations are very human. So even in himself, he you know is showing both sides. Um, another one we can quickly mention is just the theme of parents, of mothers and fathers. Those have been really big parts of the DCEU so far. That's like their whole thing is, is parents and how important it is to... <laughs> pass on your strengths to your children right? yeah yeah and how your children yeah how the children are affected by the parents and how the 
parent the relationship there affects the how you know the child's mentality and how they view the world and things mm-hmm. this will be interesting where he has a father that he knows but a mother that he doesn't know and maybe doesn't understand at the start of the movie but he maybe comes to understand his mother better by meeting mira you know and maybe learning about atlanta through mira yeah yeah exactly yeah kind of uh, a bit like the scene in uh you know man of steel and he meets jor-el's hologram and it's like oh yeah that's why i'm all weird like yeah okay <laughs> acceptance might be a theme this is probably related to like being of two worlds but jason moa talks about his own tension that he has felt of uh you know feeling like he's between two worlds and not maybe being accepted by either one and same thing for Arthur. He's like not fully Atlantean, not fully human. So can he be accepted? Um, you know, and, and can he find some people who do accept him? And how does that feel to be accepted? It'll be something they explore. Um, you mentioned the kind of re- responsibility. Um, you, we could think about it as how do you step into leadership or how do you like answer the call of the moment? Yeah. And are you, is it like a destiny thing? Like, oh, you are destined to be king or you were destined to be here for this moment because of how you were born. Or is it more of a choice like Man of Steel where it's like it's just the character in the moment has to make an important choice. I kind of like the choice angle just in terms of my like personal philosophy. I don't really think of it as destiny. I think of it more as people are in situations and they have to make choices. And as they make those choices, then that's how things turn out. It's another really big recurring theme in these movies is making the choice that people wouldn't expect you to make. You know, Superman chooses to be benevolent and kind to give up his time and resources to helping people all over the world. And you have and Batman's kind of the same way in his own like rich dude. He seems to help a lot of people out. He's got the whole um, that fund. That was a big part of that movie, how he uh, how he was paying people who had suffered from the uh, mm-hmm. Superman incident. In Suicide Squad, you see that as well. That's a big, that's a huge key thing in Suicide Squad. Right? It seems like it may have been bigger in the hashtag release, the air cut. But, um, you know, just the, like, Harley choosing her friends over. Actually, yeah, that is yeah. in the, the hashtag. Yeah, I think it's there. Yeah, like, you know, they're being forced to do this mission because of the bombs in their necks. But the whole key is that at the end, they actually choose to finish the mission because they've formed relationships with each other. So I do think that's the key at Suicide Squad, that at the end, they actually are choosing to do this for each other, not because there's a bomb in the neck. Yeah, exactly. Like, So I think that's, uh, you know, you're going to see something like that in this movie. It's not about, uh, it's not about deserve. It's about, uh, uh, I don't know, not being a dick. I can't remember what the line is. <laughs> I think that was it. That's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> but no, it also relates to this other theme that I think, I think will be in the movie because I've seen it explicitly mentioned in the trailer. Kings versus heroes. And, you know, Arthur says, well, what's greater than a king? And then she says, a hero. Um, And I like that idea of, you know, a king is just the leader because they were born into it. And they just get this position because they are in that throne. But a hero is somebody who is defined by their actions. Like, you're a hero because you act heroically, because you do something amazing to help other people or, you know, to save the day. So for me, I think this movie could embody that point that actually being a hero is greater than being a king. A king is just kind of luck of birth, you know, you're born to a royal family. But a hero is something that any of us can do, and it's it's defined by our actions, not like just by where we were born. Well, heroism is a burden. There's a, I can't remember the sort of, there was this philosophical discussion about like what a hero is and, and like what, you're playing a part. 
in a moment in time and you don't really get to, you know, you, you choose to play that part. You can always walk away. But, you know, once you have stepped into that role of stopping this or enabling that, you know, you become a you're like this mechanism in history. You stop being a person and you start um, not so much representing something. You just you, you, you are the instrument hmm. that makes something happen. And that is the difference between like being a king and a hero. I would be, I'd be very interested to see if they go into this idea in the movie on some level. I think that that line kind of indicates that they would, but mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, like you said, you know, there's a difference between like, Oh yes, I'm the king. Now father has died mm-hmm. versus <laughs> yeah, I, I have to be here for this moment and take mm-hmm. somebody's going to like, but I'll do it. Like I'm strong enough. And in and, and history, you are the, the fulcrum on which history tilts. And that's, mm. you know, depending on the scale you're talking about, we're talking about superheroes, the greatest scale. Uh, gods, really, like, they, they're really trying to get that across in these movies. There's a lot of talk about gods in these movies. And I, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, I, I think that's, uh, hopefully that'll be a big part of this. Just, uh, I, I really hope they go into that. Yeah, I hope so too. And uh, the again, the Rebirth comic books, actually pretty recently. So I doubt that this was an inspiration for the film. But it's probably just Dan Abnett like tapping into the same creative space of kings versus heroes. In I think it was in the early part of 2018 in the Rebirth comics of Aquaman, there was explicitly this theme of Arthur was not the king. Uh, you know, Mira is the queen now, and Arthur is actually kind of off to the side doing. Well, actually, this guy Cormrath like takes over. So, but anyway, Arthur in the comics is not the king of Atlantis any longer. And he's actually kind of like down, down and out for a while. And then he starts to kind of like answer the call and come back when he's needed. And then there's this whole kind of question in the comic books of, okay, Arthur, you're back. Are you going to like try to take the throne back? And he's like, no, I don't really want to be king anymore. I don't want to like take the throne back. Maybe I shouldn't be here at all. But then he kind of realizes like, oh, wait, I am needed to be a hero and I can be a hero without being king. I can actually do something here, and I don't have to go all the way to the top to try to like sit on the throne. So that was in the comics, and it was handled really well. Uh, I liked that story, and it's a good theme, and I think they can even do a, a great job with it in the movie as well. But, Nick, let's go here into our last little section. Let's talk about the questions that we have going into the movie that we're going to look for the answer You know, right on, right on the first time we see it. A few that I'll just mention quickly uh, that I have going into the movie is... Will I buy the Mira-Arthur romantic development? I want that to be a good relationship that's well-developed and has good grounding uh, in you know personal, realistic kind of uh, character things. So I'm hoping that they pull that off well. On the villain side, a question that I have is, will the villains, and this two-level villains of Orm and Black Mana, will that rise up to the high level of General Zod and to me, like to the level of Lex Luthor, who I think is amazing, so I'm hoping to have another villain that's up there at that echelon. That'd be cool. So I'm hoping for a good romance between the lead characters, and I'm hoping for a really good villain. And my question is, like, are they going to pull that off? I don't know. There's not really any way of telling now, but sure. I mean, you know, people seem to like it in China. And, well, you know, we're going to go into this, but as long as, you know, there's a uniformity of vision from the start throughout the entire creative process of this movie – that's how you get good characters and stuff. You, one of the big problems, like it sounds like, it sounds like the villains in Suicide Squad were really well developed until you changed who the villain was and then you changed how the ending played out and all that. And then uh, they kind of lose their 
what makes them interesting. Like people don't like, I think James is cool, but people don't like Enchantress. So she is. She's pretty underdeveloped as a villain. Yeah, and I think the whole the whole heart thing and stuff might have been just like added in reshoots. So yeah, like you you can't have your central villain be sort of like cobbled together in post production and stuff. <laughs> And not really have like a perspective beyond oh they used to worship us now we don't so we'll kill them like oh yeah that's pretty bad like and then like uh like um, Ares is the same way in Wonder Woman which uh, obviously like building to a bigger theme there especially if that mm-hmm. if that was carried over from the original version of that script where it was Steppenwolf and that is the idea because that is kind of Steppenwolf and Justice League that's so that's like three villains now. Mm-hmm. Who their thing is? I used to be in charge. Now I'm not. And actually, damn. I guess that also applies to Zod too. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> no, this is it's clicking into place. Talking about it. You know, we'll see. But I think the odds are good. This this movie mm-hmm. looks really coherent. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're alluding to our our last big question going into the movie, and this is a question we ask ourselves a lot as DC fans going in. What is the tone of the movie going to be? And is it going to be a consistent, coherent tone, or is it going to feel like it was kind of jumbled together a little bit? That's a big question. Yeah, it looks like this is going to be really coherent. And if it's going to be as to, like, funny versus serious, uh, fun versus gritty, um, I don't know. It certainly looks bright. It certainly looks funny. Uh, and uh, maybe that's their version of putting their best foot forward and saving the more serious stuff for the movie, which I can, you can tell from the trailer there's going to be some serious uh stuff in here mm-hmm. so overall, i don't know to me like it doesn't really matter as long as it's good and interesting if they're going to take this big left turn away from the very you know dark gritty heavy metal that's i don't even i don't even like dark and gritty i like heavy metal that's that's what man of steel and batman versus superman are to me mm-hmm. just sort of like no seriously like what would it be like dude like that's that's different from dark and gritty Especially for its own sake, because the big theme, like the reason they do that in those movies, the reason they make it so dark, is to enhance the light. Like, you Mm -hmm. you can't have hope without hopelessness. You can't be brave if you don't have something to be afraid of. So if you make the world shitty and dark and awful and then introduce a beacon of light, like, that's the whole point, is the contrast between that light and that darkness. So, you know, whether or not they're going to carry that into this and like i like, probably will like i don't really see any indication necessarily that they're not regardless as long as it's coherent vision and all these people are really talented we know that and the movie looks good mm-hmm. that's just going to be how it is from now on as long as it's good and coherent and not exactly like the marvel movies that is kind of a concern you don't want it to be just like those but i don't see anything that indicates that so mm-hmm. yeah, i think uh yeah we're gonna find out yeah I'm cautiously optimistic, kind of along the same lines that you're talking about. Like, it seems like they've allowed James Wan to make the movie. They haven't, the, you know, executives haven't interfered too much that we know of. Uh, and so what that results in is a pretty coherent kind of style from a creative team that knew what they wanted to do. So I'm looking forward to that. In terms of humor, like, I'm not against humor. I like humor in films. And we can tell from the trailers this one has some humor. I just don't want the humor to undercut the drama or undercut the threat and things like that. So the humor needs to be in the right spots and handled the right way. I'm optimistic that they will do so here. And then in terms of like crowd pleasing spectacles, right? Like stuff like, Oh, the general audiences are going to love that. That that monster coming in is so cool. Or this battle scene is so awesome and well choreographed and stuff. The crowd pleasing stuff, general audience stuff is great. 
as long as for me as long as you put some depth and some thematic development uh character arcs with it um so for me it's all just about the total package like okay it has humor but is the humor in the right spots and is there also dramatic you know emotional weight and you're like okay it has crowd pleasing it's going to be a hit with the general audiences so like hey that's fine but did they also put in some themes for us to dig into you know so that it's not just like vacuous if you look at it closely um you know there's there's other movies that i've seen where you know i try to start thinking about them deeply and there's just nothing there it just like falls apart below the surface so i'm hoping that they have the depth which and if you're aquaman if you're going into the oceans you need to have that those layers of depth i'd hope yeah is there going to be like sure the submarine will gets blown up but is there like a does the captain quietly say a prayer just as the water rushes in <laughs> and that's that's what i was talking about like heavy metal for those other movies they take those ideas very seriously and that results in like, like adhering to that sort of realist that realism a man-sized natural disaster as long as if they stick to that not as long as but if they stick to that i'll be very happy that was that was my favorite aspect of those movies just the sort of like oh my god what do i do and what's causing this it's one man it's one man <laughs> that cool battle that we see in the trailer as long as that has some kind of emotional resonance yeah like you're good they're they're really they've been pretty good at that balance i think um i was thinking about how uh wonder woman is probably going to be a pretty good indicator for how this movie is going to look because that movie isn't all smiles you know it isn't all like fun and laughs like there's a lot of grim shit in that movie it's it's about world war one and they embrace Mm -hmm. that so I think that's going to be the best indicator of of how this movie and Shazam are going to look with that sort of, the world is this way, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be. And not everything is horrible and awful. Like even the world as it is now has a lot of beauty and wonderful things in it. So just explore that, Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a, a final question might be uh, just James Wan from his horror background. You know, if he's able to use those horror skills to really heighten some of the, the tensions and some of the you know climactic moments. And he's definitely gotten to play with some monsters and stuff in it, so that'll be fun to see as well. But you know what? I think that is good for our preparations here, Nick. Um, you know, we've only got a few days left until we'll be seeing this. Um, a few members of our team were able to land tickets to see it early. So if you uh, want to hear some early reactions, you can look for... Uh, Sydney and Alessandro, who will be able to do that. But the rest of us will be with, you know, the population um, seeing it about, you know, uh, on the 20th or 21st, so coming right around the corner. So, Nick, we will be, uh, the next time we're talking about Aquaman, we'll probably be uh, actually analyzing the first few scenes of the movie. I'm so excited.